0: Alright, so if you will, turn your Bibles uh, to Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we are going to try to finish up the church at Philadelphia today, uh, with God being our helper. Um, as we've looked through this, and we've been, this is our sixth church, we have one more that we're going to do uh, starting next week. And as we finish this up, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of dreading, I always love the Word of God, but I'm dreading going what the church is next, because it's Laodicea. And that is right where we are. Uh, So unfortunately, I would like to spend a little bit more time in Philadelphia if we could, just because it's a little bit more encouraging. Uh, But it is what it is. Uh, And this church, to me, is really, it's been inspiring. Uh, Just kind of read through it uh, and the age that it represents. You know, I was looking kind of getting prepared for this, I was looking at Greg Axe's church history book. I don't know if any, uh, raise your hand if you have a copy of that. And and as I, yeah, it's an awesome book. And as I was looking at this, during during the church age that he covers, some of the names that are listed as living and, and you know, evangelizing and witnessing at this time are pretty, I mean, they're pretty mind-blowing. I'm just going to read just a few, and you don't have this on your notes, so Uh, you can tune out if you want or tune in either way so Uh, first one is William Tyndale he is a translator uh, and public. he was very instrumental in the translation and the publication of the the Bible if you have a King King James Bible uh, it's it's largely due to him William Carey uh, the father of modern missions David Livingstone missionary to Africa Hudson Taylor, Lottie Moon, uh, Missionaries to China. You've probably heard of the Lottie Moon uh, if you've been in Baptist churches you know, growing up. Uh, it was always you had a Lottie Moon offering that you took every year. Uh, George Whitefield, an evangelist to New England. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist denomination. Uh, And you may say, "Well, that's not that great." Well, then it was. Uh, The Methodist denomination is not what it used to be. A lot, some of them. So, Uh, but that was a really big deal back then. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, pastor of Massachusetts, Uh, he was. If you've heard some, "The Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God," if you've heard that message, uh, it's one of the most significant, uh, kind of, probably one of the most important messages that was ever uh, delivered during that time, as far as converts. And lastly, Charles Finney, uh, evangelist in New York, reported 500,000 conversions in his revivals. Uh, and so that's, you know, when you think about some of these names, it's awesome list. But as we conclude with this church today, let's, let's not miss the clear instructions he's given us in his word, okay? Uh, so we are going to do a quick review, and I'm emphasizing quick, uh, so... The first thing we want to kind of look at, you've got it on your notes. We obviously are talking about the Church of Philadelphia. They were the Church of Brotherly Love. Uh, This was the greatest era of revival in church history. And one of the things that you may kind of think about, revival, if you break that word down, it means to revive. That means something that was alive, that is dead, that has been alive again. So revival is always aimed at believers first. So Revival has to start in us, and then we evangelize and witness out of that revival. Uh, Revival doesn't go to people that aren't saved. Revival starts in the church, and that's what happened during this age. The church revived. God revived those churches, and then they took the gospel to a lost and dying world. So that's very important to kind of make sure. Uh, It's from 1500 to 1900 as far as your dates uh, this is during this time the authorized King James Version went out and it was commissioned in 1604. Published in 1611, there have been revisions, uh, roughly four to seven, depending on you know which who for the people that you talk to, uh, how many they think they are. So uh, we can have that debate later if you want. So uh, then number two, we saw the churches, Philadelphia, number two, Christ, how how he was. Um, you would probably say maybe what are his characteristics and how did he show himself to these churches uh, Well, in particular the church of Philadelphia he was seen as holy he was seen as true and then we saw really the key of all this and, and no pun intended is the key of David uh, the key of David was very important and we saw this this was the thing that opened up and, and really kind of opened up the gospel to the lost and dying world during that time period uh, and it was openeth and shutteth then we had a commendation and we saw these last week. Uh, we saw that they were a working church. We saw that they were a weak church uh, because it says they had that they had a little strength. Uh, and you know, Jay I thought made an awesome point last week, and uh he makes a lot of awesome points, but you know that he's an he's an awesome pastor, but um really to kind of show us that when we are weak, he can be strong. We want to, you know, if we will just get out of God's way. <laughs> and let God use us. We can do a lot of great things, but unfortunately, we want to try to, you know, uh, insert ourselves in a lot of those things and just letting him work through us. Uh, So they were a weak church. Next, they were a holding church. Uh, They held the word of God. And then lastly, they were a witnessing church. Uh, They took that word of God, and they didn't uh, keep it from other people. They took it to a lost and dying world. Uh, So that's the quickest review you'll ever have in this church. So there you go. So... uh, Revelation chapter 3. Let's start there. We're going to read, and then we'll pray. Uh, Revelation 3, 7 through 13. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, uh, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength, hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, And he shall go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. Verse 13, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you. I pray uh, today as we hear your word, I pray that we really do have ears to hear. Uh, I pray that... Your Holy Spirit is the teacher today. I pray that you get me out of the way. Uh, I can't do anything. I'm a man of stuttering lips. Uh, and I just pray today that you have your way. I pray that your Holy Spirit will give us exactly what we need as we look through, this, as, through your scriptures, as we look through your word, as you try to communicate truths to us today. Uh, I pray that you would open every ear and every heart, uh, that we would see exactly what you would want us to do with your word today. Help us to apply the things that we hear today. Help us to we take those things out to the world. Uh, we don't want to be, uh, you know, it's awesome to do church, but, man, we need to take the, what we learn here. We need to take it out. We need to share that with other people. As you fill us up with these things, we need to pour it out in the lives of other people, and I pray that we do that today. Uh, I know that your word won't return void. It will, ha- it will accomplish its purpose, and it will do exactly what you want it to do today. We love you. Uh, we're so thankful to be here. And all these things we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. All right. So, we're going to start in verse 10. And what's really significant about this, and Jay touched on this last week, um, is that you see that there's no correction. There's no correction in this church. Um, can you imagine standing before Jesus Christ, standing before God, and hearing nothing but good things? That you've, your stewardship, that the time that you spent on this earth is commended. We all have that opportunity uh, today, and we're going to see why. So the reason that this church received no correction from the Lord, it doesn't mean that they were without sin, but they did the two things, just two things, that God wanted them to do. It's the same two things that God has commanded us to do. Keep his word and not deny his name. If you can do those two things, then you've accomplished something in this life. Uh, Let's look at Psalm 119, 101. Um, when you look at that, it says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. Luke eleven twenty eight. but he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. It's really, we, it's not really that complicated. But man, we make it so complicated, don't we? Uh, you know, I was talking today, or this week, you know, we have these black, really, this is black and white either do this or don't do this but we insert so many gray things you know in between those t- the black and the white don't we uh, well i want to do this but fill in the blank or i want to I, I could do this but fill in the blank there's no blanks it's either do this and this happens don't do this that happens it's pretty simple uh, psalm 119 46 i will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed uh, Matthew 10, 32, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. So this was why they received no correction. Uh, this was res- why that Jesus could look on that church and say, You're doing a great job. You have a little strength. Uh, and then, because of their boldness, uh, we see that they are blameless. Uh, they are blameless uh, because of the boldness that they have done. Um, Luke 1, 5, and 6 says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zechariah of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. This is obviously John the Baptist's parents. And they were both righteous before God, walking in the commandments and ordinances, of the Lord blameless. They were blameless in the ordinances of God before the Holy Spirit. So what is our excuse? What is our excuse? We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Word of God. Why can't we be blameless? The Church of Philadelphia was because they had just a little strength. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, 8 says, So that you become behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think we realize, I hope we realize as a church and as individual believers, we are going to stand before him and give an account. If you confess to be a Christian, if you profess that, You will give an account. Will we be blameless? Uh, We can be, but but I don't... For me, I know, you know, that's the day that there's a lot of my stewardship that's not going to be very pleasant to look at. Uh, But you can start today doing the things that he's commanded this Philadelphia church. Keep his word, not deny his name. It's pretty simple. Second Peter three thirteen to fourteen. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. All right. So your first key today: obedience to God's word result will result in being blameless before him at the judgment seat of Christ. And guess what? The converse of that is true. Disobedient. Disobedience results in being blamed at the judgment seat of Christ. And you may think God's not keeping score. You may think he's busy. Trust me, he's seeing everything that we do. He's seeing everything that we say. He's seeing our intentions, the motives. Uh, He's seeing the things that we do. But more importantly, he's seeing the things that we don't do. You know? Uh, I think a lot of times we think about, man, I, I'd like to do some things. So well, what are you not doing? I mean, look at the, the, the sins of, oh, we call you have sins of commission, and you have sins of omission. Uh, the Word of God says that anything done apart from the faith is sin, right? Uh, so if it has, doesn't have faith involved in it, it's sin. Uh, you guys remember the slogan from Nike? You know, you, this may be kind of a generational thing. Uh, had Michael Jordan, had Bo Jackson, had all these athletes, right? And what was the slogan? Just do it, just do it right? Man, we, and we, man, if we could get our Nike shoes, I, I couldn't afford the Nike. Well, my parents wouldn't get me the Nike shoes, but, you know, now it's fashion. Some of you may still have some fat the Nike shoes on, I'm not sure. But uh, I know Colin's got a pair, so, nah. Uh, but anyway, I had to get a shot in at him since he's not here, so. But it's just do it, right? So, in other words, whatever sport they were playing, do it to the best of your ability. Do all the training, do all the running, do everything that you can to be the best that you can possibly be. Well, for us as believers, it's about adding faith, adding to virtue to the faith, right? Uh, It talks about in 2 Peter 1 and 5. It's just doing the things that God has told us to do. If you're in discipleship or if you're in some kind of... Uh, relationship where you're being shepherded, whatever that man or woman is telling you to do, just do that. That's what the Philadelphian church did. They didn't worry about all the superfluous things and the cares of this world. They just kept the Word of God and they didn't deny his name. Why can't we do that? It's very simple. and the truth is, God has given us everything that we need so we, we can obtain rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. I'm not going to use the same 20, you know, the 24-hour thing. You've got the same 24 hours. Uh, you know, it Jesus and Paul. I'm not going to do that. But what I will say is you have the same spirit of God, and you have the same word of God that Paul had, that Timothy had that Tyndale had, that Spurgeon had, that Moody had, that Finney had, all these guys that we read earlier, it's the same. We are without excuse. Uh, And the Philadelphian church just did what God commanded them to do, and they they were blameless because of that. And so that is the correction, which was none. Well, now let's look at the challenge in verse 11. It says, Behold, I come quickly, Hold that fast which thou thou hast, that no man take thy crown. And obviously, as I was going through this, I had done my notes. And, you know, I thought I had them kind of where I wanted them to be. But then I looked back and I thought, man, I've got to look at what that first thing says. And I don't want to be remiss in, in not mentioning that. It says, behold, I come quickly. The next event on God's calendar is the rapture of his church. I understand the context of what we're talking about today that we're talking about in this prophetically we're talking about the day of the Lord we're talking about the second coming. but for us as believers, the first of, first thing before you can have a second coming before you can have uh, the day of the Lord, there's going to be a rapture of the church uh, and at that rapture, we will be immediately called up to be in the presence of the Lord, and there's not going to be you know that Grace period where you just kind of hang around. We're immediately in the presence of the Lord to give an account, uh, and when we do that, that's going to be a very intimidating thing. Uh, it can be a, a, a time of joy, but it can also be a time of, of sorrow. Uh, and you know, everybody's got an opinion of when you may think that occur, uh, depending on who you listen to. Uh, but you'd be have to be living under a rock to think we aren't extremely close. Uh, with the de- things that are going on in this world today. Uh, but regardless of when it happens, we're closer today than we were yesterday. And tomorrow will be a day closer than we were today if he, do- if he tarries his coming. You know, none of us are promised tomorrow. The word, word of God says that life is but a vapor. Uh, we're here for a moment, then pass away. And so we could meet him sooner than we think. You know? For those of us in the medical field, I've seen people that kick over just like that. I've seen people that were reasonably healthy kick over just like that. I could drop here in a minute. We're not promised another breath. And every breath that we do get is, is a gift from God. And so we need to take that into account. Uh, so in light of that, in the light of the fact that we can meet him very soon, and what can we learn from what he's telling the, at the Church of Philadelphia to do? Well, the first thing he tells them to do is to hold fast. Uh, he says, "Behold, fa- behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown." And Jay, Jay kind of hit on some of this last week, but I want to kind of reemphasize this. Uh, you now, there's several passages in Scripture where it talks about holding fast. Some different things, where it's the Word of God, whether it's the profession of your faith, where it's the hope that you have. Well, let's look at some of them. Titus one nine says, "Holding fast." the faithful word, as he hath been taught, that he might be, may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. And hold with me with these verses because I'm going somewhere. 2 Timothy 1, 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. So we first of all, we see that we can hold fast the faithful word that we have been given. Uh, whether it be the teaching and preaching here, whether it be in discipleship, whether it be just in our daily study, uh, we have been given the words of God. What are we doing with it? Uh, Hebrews 4.14 says that, uh, seeing then that we have a high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. How are we doing with that? Are we living our lives in such a way where we can be proud to say we're a Christian? Where we can, you know, I, I can remember this example. Would there be enough evidence in a court of law to, to, to convince you or convict you of being a Christian? For me personally, for a lot of years, I would say no. I wouldn't even have unbelievers look at me saying, uh, "I thought you said you went to church. I thought you said that you were a Christian, and you're doing X,Y,Z. Would they say that about us today? Uh, something to think about. Hebrews 10:23. Uh, "Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for his faithful that promised." Go on Derek. First uh, Thessalonians 5:21. It says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Uh, with the things that you hold on to on a daily basis, the activities that you participate in, would you even characterize them as good? Good from a biblical standpoint. I'm not talking about what you think is good uh, in, your, in, the, in the worldly secular eyes. The things that you do, your activities, are they good? You know, when you look at that list in Philippians, when you think upon those pure things that he talks about, that we are to think on, to meditate on, would our activities even fit in that list? 2 Thessalonians 2.15, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. And, you know, if we're in church world, we love our traditions, Right. Uh, We love the, you know, whether it be we're going to sing a certain type of song or we're going to have a certain type of carpet or we're going to have, you know, the things that we grew up with, we're going to dress up or we're not going to dress up or whatever you grew up with, that's fine. That's great. What does it say? The traditions that have been taught by, whether by word or epistle. So we better make sure that our traditions that we hold on to so tightly line up with the word of God. If they don't line up with the word of God, guess what? They don't need to be held on to. And that's pretty simple. Um, you know, and what's interesting, too, about this, I think I've got one more. Sorry, Hebrews 3.6. I got ahead of myself. But Christ is a son over his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope, uh, firm unto the end? Are we holding fast in the confidence that Jesus is coming to get us? Uh, do we dwell on that Do Are we looking for that? Uh, you know, Are we looking forward to that? So, key question before we get to the key. uh, Yeah, there you go. Uh, What are you holding on to today? What's the most valuable, valuable possession you have? It might not be what you think it is. Is it your 401k? is it your job is it your house is it your boat is your guitars or, you know fill in the blank whatever you're, you know whatever you like to do or is it this is this the most valuable thing in your life more valuable than the breath the next breath that you take do we look at the word of god that way and by the way if you're holding tightly to something it means you have to let go of some things. Let go of the less needful things. So that means you've got to prioritize. You know, for us that go through discipleship, and we may think, man, I am doing an awesome job. I take one hour a week, and man, I, I meet with somebody, and we, we, we read the Word of God, and man, I yes. You know, and we pat ourselves on the back. But we'll spend eight hours at our job every day. We've got to make sure we sleep for eight hours, or six, eight, you know, some of us. We've got to make sure that when we get up, we do our Netflix, we watch our shows. And I'm preaching to myself, you know. Um, you know, you guys can listen if you want. This is for me. So all of these things that we make sure that we cover— where does the Word of God fit into that? Weekly? Daily? Is it truly our daily bread, or is it something that we do when we have to on Wednesday or on Sunday? Uh, man, it needs to be something that, that is a priority in your life. It was a priority to this church of Philadelphia. That's why they had the key. That's why they had the key of David. Uh, and that's why they, had, they were able to open doors uh, that God had given them access to. And why do we want to do that? Um, your stewardship of this book, the mysteries of God that it talks about in the Word of God, your stewardship will determine the reward that you have at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, But it will also determine the lack of it if you don't have any stewardship of it. So you think about your job. And this is not on my notes. This is free. So you think about your job, right? And we make sure that we clock in and clock out when we're supposed to. Uh, We make sure we have our daily, if you have a schedule or whatever you do, we make sure we get all those things. We make sure we're prepared from day to day. If you're a good employee, you do that, right? Uh, And you get bonuses and you get, you know, uh, extra PTO and fill in the blank, man. And we dedicate ourselves to those things because we want to hear from our boss, man, you're doing a great job. Why don't we do that for Jesus Christ? Why don't we want... To hear from him, man, you're doing awesome. Why don't we want people to look at us and see something different about us? Well, the reason that we want to do it like the church at Philadelphia did it, so that no man uh, will take our crown. Uh, let's look at this. And so, you know, if you look in the Word of God at what crowns are, there's five crowns. Um, and I guess we would have time, but we're not going to take time today. So uh, you've got to get to your lunches, so. Uh, so go to the next slide, Derek, make sure that we can all see that. So there's five crowns uh, that you look at in Scripture. The first one is the incorruptible crown. It's talked about in 1 Corinthians 9.25. Uh, you have the crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Uh, the crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy 4.8. Uh, the crown of life, James 1.12. And then ultimately, there's a crown of glory for the shepherds uh, and the pastors in 1 Peter 5.4. Um so what do we do with these crowns? Do we wear them around? You know, do we get to we throw one on each arm and we, you know, and we put one on our hat and we you know, on our head and we walk around heaven like we're somebody? You know, no, that's not what we do with them. Revelation 4:10 says what we do with them. It says the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are, and were created. If that's not what we're doing this for, so we can cast our crowns at His feet, so that He can receive honor and glory, then we're doing it for the wrong reason. Uh, You know, I'm all about virtue, and I'm all about, you know, reading and doing the things, what we're supposed to do, but it ought to be not out of a sense of duty or out of a sense of just, it ought to be because we love Jesus. It ought to be because we're so thankful of what he did for us on the cross that we don't have to go to hell, uh, that he is worthy to receive honor and glory and power, uh, that he is most certainly due. Um, Next thing that we want to see in this is that, you know, part of that challenge is to overcome. Let's look at verse 12. It says, Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. I will do a disclaimer right here. I don't have all this, this part figured out. So if you guys got it figured out, then just, you know, you can come talk to me later and we'll re-preach it again. So, uh, him that overcometh will well, make a pillar in the temple of my God. And he, sh- he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. Um, and this is, this is one of those passages that you look at, and particularly in Revelation, when you see these type of passages and you think, well, what in the world does this mean? You know, what is it talking about? Well, you know, I like to do the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid, right, for me. And so I'm just going to look at what the Word of God says about these things, and we're going to just compare Scripture with Scripture that talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, or 1 Corinthians, and we're going to really figure out comparing Scripture with Scripture that's how God teaches us, so let's do that. Uh, so we have to make sure that we look at what enables us to overcome. It's the Word of God uh, abiding in us. First John two uh, thirteen says, I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. And so, when you see this, you see a direct correlation with overcoming and the word of God being inside of you, uh, that it abides in you, that it directs your path. Uh, and so, we see the correlation with that. I go back to Revelation two, if I didn't, if I got that up there, Derek. Yeah. Uh, so this is the church at Ephesus it says he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches To him that overcometh will I give to eat the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God And so the same thing about overcoming was was directed uh, To the church at Ephesus and so we see that there's a correlation with the word of God I hope you've seen this as we've looked through this but he says but if you overcome Then I'm going to make you make these people in the church of Philadelphia during this age make a pillar In the temple of my God. So, what does this mean? Well, let's look at simply what does the Bible say about pillars, uh, and let's let the Bible give us the answers for it. So, first, pillars always represent God's presence and worship of God in Scripture. Uh, Whether it's the pillar of cloud and fire that we we saw in Exodus, a pillar reared up in worship, uh, we're going to see in just a minute, or a pillar in God's temple, pillars were always meant to point out our need for God's provision in our lives. So you think about a pillar, what does it do on a house? If it's structural, what does it do? It holds stuff up, right? It provides stability. It provides strength. Hold on to that. So the first mention of this is in Genesis 28, 18 through 22. It may be small on the screen. You should be able to see that. It says, And Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stones that he had put for his pillows. Anybody slept on a stone? That may be why some of y'all, we drag in here, you know. Uh, our pillows. We need to get the my pillow, you know. So that's free. So uh, I knew I'd get something from Jonathan on that. So yeah, I knew you did. That's why I said it. So, uh, so if you if you you know just the word time out. If if you want John, Jonathan can make a list of all the things, that, products that he recommends uh, for you guys that'll help you enable you to you know live life to the fullest, you know. So <laughs> uh, I love you, brother. So, uh, Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put up for his pillows, and set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at the first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat, and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Verse 22, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. So we see this pillar uh, that was simply a stone. Uh, he raised it up, he, poured oil, he put oil on it, and he says, this is going to be God's house. And he gave a tithe, a tenth, uh, as, as an offering to the Lord. Uh, so it was a type of worship. 1 Kings seven twenty one. 21, uh, he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple. And set up the right pillar and called the name there thereof Jacob, and he set up the left pillar and called the name thereof Boaz. Uh, And these names, when you look at them, are very significant in Scripture. And obviously we know about Boaz, we know about him being the kinsman, redeemer redeemer for Ruth. Jacob was out of the line of the priests. But when I read this, I don't really think that it's the actual obviously I don't think it's the actual people. Uh, I think in the Hebrew, these words, again, mean stability and strength uh, and a sense of direction. And these are the things that only God can give us. Second uh, Kings, this is the one I wanted to get to. Second Kings 23, 2 and 3, it says, And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him. And the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. So Josiah has come in. He's made all these reforms uh, in Judah. And then he stands by a pillar. The king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and statutes with all their heart and all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. So there, there was a point in the middle of, midst of all these reforms that he stood at this pillar. He had read the words of the book. And he made a covenant. And here's what I'm doing. Will you come with me? You know, will you do this as well? Uh, and to me, that's what we do here every Sunday. And you have somebody that stands in this pulpit and reads out of the word of God. Are you willing to do this? God being our helper, are we willing to do it? First um, Timothy 3.15, But if I tarry long, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm out of order. That's me, Derek, not you. Galatians 2, nine. sorry. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. So we see in the New Testament that Paul is recognizing uh, James and Peter and John he looked at them as being pillars. He looked at them uh, as being an example to follow uh, of, of really of the, uh, the Christian faith or how to walk with God. And he looked at them as, as a, and gave him a sense of stability. Uh, and you see later on that they actually reach out to him. You know, in their, in their writings, and they call his Paul's writing scripture. Uh, so there was a mutual respect there, uh, but they were all going in the same direction. First Timothy three fifteen. But if I tear along, that thou mayest know how thou all just behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So I said all that to say this: when people ride by this church, do they look at? this church as a, as a place that, where they can see God's direction, where, as a place of stability, as a place of strength? Or do they look at this church and say, I think I'm going to drive on somewhere else. You know, or do, you know, what do they see? When they look at you personally and they look at me personally, do they see us as being pillars? Or do they see us as examples of the goodness of God? Do they see us as an example of somebody that they want to follow? Or do they look at us as being unstable? Do they look at us and say, I think I'm going to find somebody else to follow. I would not, you know, they may look at us and say they don't seem to be very uh, stable in their ways. Uh, So, again, just this is a personal application of that. But... Prophetically, it says, and doctrinally, it says that they will write upon him the name of my God. And again, I'm just going to, literally, I'm just going to read this. To me, what I get out of this, this is like getting the Lord's stamp of approval. God looks at these men men and women. Uh, Jesus Christ is writing to these churches. He's saying, because I am so proud of what you've done, I'm going to write my father's name on you. I'm going to give you his pers- my personal stamp of approval that everybody that looks at you sees the father. Uh, it's the name of his father on the faithful believer. And I think this echoes Matthew twenty five twenty three. It says, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So when we stand before the Lord that day, and I get it. We're, we're not in the church of Philadelphia. I, I, I get that. But will he look at our stewardship and be willing to put God's name on it? Or will it be, we're just sliding by. We're going to get our C and move on, you know. Um, what an honor that would be for this, this, these believers at this church. These names of the men that I listed earlier. And the women women that I listed, they're going to get God's name because of their stewardship and what they've done uh, during that time period. Uh, And for us, you know, we need to do that as well. Well, That's what we need to be looking for. So what name is going to be written? What's the name of God? Well, when I read the Bible, I see two distinct names. Uh, I see Yahweh. And I see Jehovah. Yahweh is the Greek form of that, or the Hebrew form of that word, and Jehovah is the Greek form of that word. Um, And so let's look at Genesis 17, verse 1. It says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. That Almighty, I am the Almighty God, is Yahweh. Okay? Um, Then. It changes. Exodus 6, 2 and 3 says, And God spake unto Moses, we see a different dispensation. And said unto him, I am the Lord, and I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, and by the name of God Almighty I appeared to them. But by my name Jehovah, the name you're going to know me as, was I not known to them. Uh, so there's a different characteristic or a different aspect of that name. Uh, Psalm eighty three eighteen, That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, Art the Most High over all the earth. So I believe that it's going to be significant uh, and distinct uh, to those believers at the Church of Philadelphia. Could be Yahweh, it could be Jehovah, I don't know. Um, you figure that out. So, and when you do, tell me. So um, I don't see, I, I really don't see anything else in Scripture where it says that. So if you, you guys, um, I'm, I'm willing to learn if you figure it out. So. Uh, The next thing that we want to see, not only are we going to write the name of Jehovah or Yahweh, the name of our God on them, uh, it says that Jesus Christ himself is going to write the city of my God, the name of that city. And man, when you think about this, and, and when I'm looking at this, when you think about that city, and obviously you think about that, the Lord himself, it talks about in John 14 that he is going to prepare a place for us. How magnificent that place is going to be. Uh, you know, I think I saw, we were watching the news the other day, and I think by 2030, uh, the mean average of price of homes in Huntsville is going to be over a million dollars by 2030 because of, yeah, everybody's looking at it like, oh, man, you yeah, right. That's why I moved out of Huntsville, so... Um, but you think about that. So every the average home in Huntsville is going to be a million dollars. Now, I don't know about you guys, when I, especially when I was growing up, a million dollars was like something that was just, I couldn't even fathom how much a million dollars was. But the average home will be over a million dollars, like just your run-of-the-mill, you know, whatever. Can you imagine just... Get that out of your head for just a second. How magnificent just the average home that Jesus Christ will make for us. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm not sure. I would say, I, I would have to guess, probably there's going to be different homes for different people, depending on your stewardship. Uh, I don't think it's going to be the same for everybody, just like the rewards aren't going to be the same. I don't think it would, you know, I'm probably not going to have the same type house that Paul has. Just saying. You know, I'm probably going to have the outhouse of Paul's house. But, you know, so, and that'll be okay. Um, but, you know, I want that house to be as best as it can possibly be. Uh, because he has prepared a place for me. Hebrews 11:10 says, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I don't know if you guys have built a house lately. There's not, you know, we just built a house not too long ago. There's not a level place in it. You know, all the stuff still kind of offset and you look at it and it's the kind of you walk through and you're like yeah i'm just going to keep walking i'm not going to look at that too long because then i start picking out all the different things that are wrong there's not going to be anything wrong in that house there's everything's going to be perfect uh, because he built it so this city of my god it says that the name of this city is going to be called new jerusalem revelation 21 2 talks about this it says and i john saw the holy city new jerusalem coming down from god out of heaven prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Ezekiel forty-eight thirty-five says it was round about 18,000 measures. The name of that city from that day shall be the Lord is there. There's never going to be a time that he's not there with us. There's never going to be a time that we're going to have to look around and say, y'all seen Jesus? Yeah, he's right there. I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. Um, you know, to look around and just for him to be the light of that whole city because it says there won't be, need to be a sun there because he is the light thereof. Um, and it says that it comes down out of heaven. So what does that mean? Well, Paul talked about this in Galatians 4. It says, but Jerusalem, which is, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So there's Jerusalem, this city is built, and it's going to come down. Uh, Revelation 21, 10, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. So how that works, I don't know. But I just know it says it's coming down from heaven, and it's prepared, and it's ready. And every part of it's going to be perfect. And not only is he going to write the city of my God, that name, is there's going to be a new name written. Isaiah 62 says, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest, until the righteousness thereof goeth forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof is a the lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Uh, so, doctrinally, just as you see this Philadelphian church will be given a new name, and I believe there's going to be different names for different people. I depended on again for their stewardship. Um, inspirationally, you as a believer in Christ have been given a new name. Y'all probably know that as Christian. Do you have you ever thought? And obviously, maybe I'm being obtuse here, but do you that word literally means little Christ? And there's a lot of things today in this world that have the name Christian stamped on it. There's a lot of so-called versions of the Bible that have Christian stamped on it. There's churches that have the name Christian stamped on it. There's activities that have the name Christian stamped on it. Uh, There's, whether it be at the local level, at the state level, at the governmental level, there's people... Representatives saying that they're Christian, but they don't have a life that matches up to what the, I wouldn't call them a little Christ. Acts eleven twenty six says this, and when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. And we've kind of talked about this. The reason they could be called Christians, is because they had the true word of God. And the true word of God that we study and read came from those Christians in Antioch. So key question Does our lifestyle match the new name we have been given if we're a believer in Christ? Would God look at us and say, yeah, he looks just like my son, or she looks just like my son? Would we get that new name? Would we get that stamp of approval? Again, would there be enough in our life to convict us of being a Christian in a court of law? You know, we worry so much about, I can remember growing up, one of the things I was so concerned about and should have been even more concerned looking about it I didn't want to make my dad my parents look bad you know and anytime I got in trouble I was like man how's that going to make them look how's that going to make my dad look how's that going to make my mom look because I know they didn't raise me this way I know that they didn't uh, they didn't teach me how to do these things you know Do we care enough about how we make God look to change our behavior? I don't know that we do. Uh, And lastly, we're going to finish here in verse 13. It says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And, you know, you guys have been patient with me here for almost an hour now. Uh... Do you really have ears to hear? What God has to say to us. Matthew 11:15 and Mark 4:23. He says, "He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear." you ever had your ears stopped up and you couldn't really hear things? You know, that's a really kind of an annoying thing. Uh, I remember a few years ago, I, I had wax build up in my ears. And that's cool, right? That's this a good thing. And I, don't, you know, and so, you know, I tried to get it out and couldn't get it out. And so then I had to go to the doctor, and they had to like go in and like take this tool and scrape it out. And I don't know if you've had anybody sc- scrape it on your eardrum lately. That's a pretty painful thing, uh, and it really hurt for a few minutes. Uh, but I was amazed after he did that, the things that I could hear, I could. I mean, even little things like the water running as you flush a toilet. I mean, it was so loud, and it was so clear and distinct. I could hear things in in the other room that I couldn't hear, Um, because I had had my ears cleaned out, and I was tuned in to what things my surroundings. How would do we have wax build up when it comes to the Word of God? Is it, are we hearing, you know, we talk, I think we talked about this Wednesday night. We were talking about, you know, it was thundering and we were making a joke uh, about, oh, is that, Oh, it's thundering. Oh, that's the voice of God. And we were talking about the, you know, the scripture in John where it talked about some heard thunder and some actually heard what God had to say. Do we really hear what God has to say to us? So the key, right hearing of God's word Right hearing of God's Word will always result in the right response to God's Word. So, in other words, things are cleared out so much that it makes that 12-inch, you know, for, it's probably a little shorter for me. maybe, you know, Josh, I don't know how much it'd be for you from ears to your heart. Does it make that distance, that, you know, that journey from our heart or from our ears to our heart? Or does it get stopped up? And then we take the Q-tip and then we stuff it, you know, stuff the wax down in further and it makes it worse and then we can't hear. You know, do we really have a right hearing of God's Word to prompt a right response to God's Word? You know, if we aren't willing to truly hear what the Spirit is saying, and this church at Philadelphia was, and they responded rightly, then we will never hear the words, uh, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We will never be the overcomer God meant us to be. We won't hold fast the things that God has taught us to hold fast to. We won't respond when we hear God's word. We will get so, the word of God says in Second uh, Peter, that we can get so far off and so deep down in our sin that we can forget that we were purged. Uh, we can forget that we were even saved. And I've been there, folks, and it's not a good place to be. Uh, we can doubt everything that comes, uh, comes around. Uh, we can doubt our faith. We can doubt our, the calling. We can doubt the, the, just even the simple things that God has laid out for us in his word. And it all comes from the incorrect response and the improper hearing of what God has to say to us. and Our heart gets hardened. And we don't want to do that today. We want to be the ones that say, I'm willing to do what you've asked me to do, Lord. So uh, let's, we're going to pray, and then we'll, we'll have a time of closing. Uh, and just, if you will, just bow your heads for me. You know, we covered a lot of ground today, but I, I just want to make sure we're clear today. Right now, can we all say if we met the Lord today, we would spend eternity with him? You know, would we stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ, or would we we'd be standing at the great white throne judgment? Uh, And those are the only two places that we will meet him. You know, can we all look back to a specific time, a point in time when we put our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross? Folks, Jesus died for your sins so that you could have eternal life, but you have to accept that payment uh, for your sin by admitting that you're a sinner, believing Jesus is the Son of God, and confessing he will be the Lord of your life. And it doesn't have to be any more complicated than that. Uh, And so, you know, if you haven't done that today, uh, you can come to the altar right now. Come see me after. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to, um, you know, make you feel uncomfortable. Uh, but we want to make sure that you know that you're saved today. Uh, the words, Word of God says, make today the day of salvation. So if we are saved, you know, how does our lifestyle measure up to the Philadelphian church? Do we display that boldness and blamelessness that they they had as characteristics? And lastly... Are we holding fast and overcoming? Or do we find ourselves holding on to the things of this world and being defeated on a daily basis? And we can all start fresh today and commit to do the things which we've been commanded to do. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you.